Well, here we are again uh, in the holiday season and lots of people from our church are doing what lots of people all around the country are doing right now. They're off somewhere on a holiday. I've got to confess, I love a good holiday. Uh, In fact, sometimes I find myself standing out the front of the local flight centre travel agents uh, with my face pushed hard up against the glass, uh, longingly looking in at all the, the travel brochures up on the wall. Uh, a little bit like uh, a dog looking longingly into a butcher's shop or something like that until the owners come out and shoo me away. Do you like getting away on holidays too? Uh, I'm sure you do. And especially at this time of the year, after a year of work, whether it be at the office or at home or uni or school, it's good to get away, isn't it? To recharge your weary batteries, to go someplace and find some peace and joy and rest. To go someplace and find some (sighs) refreshment. But of course the problem with holidays is that refreshment is only temporary, isn't it? It doesn't last. You get back from your holiday and a week later it's a bit like, what holiday? And even when you're on holidays, well it's hardly like all the stresses and strains of life are put on hold completely. No, rarely do our holidays provide us with the full and the lasting refreshment that I think most of us long for. At best, holiday refreshment, it's fleeting and it's superficial. But what if I told you that there's a kind of refreshment available that lasts, that can stay with you all year long? A kind of refreshment that isn't superficial but but rather so profound that it goes deep down into your very bones, down into the very fabric of who you are. What if I told you, you could find refreshment for your soul? It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, it was King David who discovered this profound refreshment for his own soul some 3,000 years ago. And he thought it was so amazingly good that he he decided to write about it in a psalm. Psalm 32, the, the psalm that I want us to look at together this morning. If you don't already have Psalm 32 open in front of you, can I encourage you... Grab a Bible now, turn with me to Psalm 32. Open up the middle of the Bible and chances are you'll come across your Psalms. It's Psalm 32, page 395 of the small print Bibles, 869 of the large print. And as you can see uh, from the title of the Psalm there, it's a Psalm that was written by David, King David. And it's been given the label of a mascul. See the title there at the beginning? Of David a mascul. What's a mascul? Well, it sounds a little bit like a small rodent or something, doesn't it? A mascul, little mascul. But actually, we're not really sure what a mascul is. Our, our best guess is that it's a kind of teaching psalm, a psalm with some special instructions in it for its readers, a mascul. But then as the psalm itself begins, David starts by telling us how to find blessing. In other words, how to find joy and peace and rest in your life. True refreshment. He says that this kind of blessing comes to those who have had their sins forgiven and to those in whose spirit there is no deceit. Here, read with me from verse 1. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions, sins, are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And 
in whose spirit is no deceit. Okay, so according to David, if you want to be blessed, if you want real joy, peace, rest in your life, then firstly, you need God to forgive your sins. All that stuff in your life that goes against God's will for you, all that stuff you've done wrong, your disobedience, your rebellion, your sins, you need God to forgive you if you want to be blessed. And secondly, if you want to be blessed, David says you've got to be someone who doesn't have a deceitful spirit. In other words, you've got to be someone who doesn't lie, but who tells the truth. But I think that David has a particular truth in mind here. Because as the psalm continues, he tells us about a time in his life when his spirit was full of deceit, full of lies. And in particular, it was a time when David refused to acknowledge some sin in his life. Rather than confessing his sin to God, David kept silent about it. He tried to cover it up, hide it from God, acting as though it didn't even exist or or it didn't really matter, just justifying it all away. But you know, that was just a lie, a product of David's deceitful spirit at that time. But David discovered that, that while ever he lived this lie, There was no peace or joy or rest in his life. He wasn't blessed. He wasn't refreshed. Instead, he felt awful. His inner strength melting within him as though his very soul had been left out in the blazing summer sun to bake. And now it was all dry and withered. Listen to the way David describes his life during the time he refused to confess his sin. Read with me from verse 3. Verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Do you get the point? It was an awful time for David. But what's really interesting here is the true cause of his misery. Because it was more than just his sin making him feel this way. It was God. Did you notice? David said, for day and night your hand, God, was heavy upon me. See, it was God's hand of discipline coming down on David and giving him no rest or joy or peace. Just groaning. A little bit like a a parent's hand of discipline coming down on a rebellious child. You know, it's not meant to be nice. It's not meant to be pleasant. It, It brings groaning. What sin was David covering up here? Well, actually, we don't we don't know for sure. Maybe it was his adultery with. Bathsheba and and subsequent murder of her husband Uriah. Maybe that's the sin he's talking about here. It was certainly a significant sin in his life, wasn't it? It was certainly a a sin that he tried to cover up. But in the end, we just don't know what sin he's got in mind here because he doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that this was an awful time for David. God's hand heavy upon him, refusing to let him get away with his sin. But then as the psalm continues, David tells us about the day that he made a very important decision. A decision to stop lying and to start telling the truth. 
to take the cover off his sin and expose it for what it was once and for all, to present it to God and to finally ask him for forgiveness. And as it turns out, it was the best decision that David could have ever made. Because as David confessed his sin to God, God did forgive him. Read with me from verse 5. Verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Yep, best decision David could have ever made. Because as he confessed his sin, God forgave his sin. And suddenly, God, God's heavy hand was taken away. And suddenly, David's dry, withered soul began to feel the mercy of God raining down on it. You talk about profound refreshment. It doesn't get any more profound than this. It doesn't get any deeper than this. It doesn't get any more refreshing than this. But that was David's experience, and now he wants his readers to know that this same refreshment is available to them too. And so he tells his readers not to make the same mistake he did and keep silent about your sin, but rather be godly and truthful and pray to God and confess your sin to him and receive forgiveness in return. Because David knows that when you do that, not only is God's heavy hand taken away, but even better, it's then replaced by his loving arms of protection. Arms that become like a hiding place. Arms that keep you safe through the worst storms of life. Giving you reason to sing joyful songs as he brings you through those storms. Joyful songs of deliverance. Here, read with me from verse 6. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, when the storms of life come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Wow, how David's circumstances have changed, hey? No longer is he, you know, trying to hide his sin from God. Now he's hiding himself in God. No longer is David miserable because now he has found peace and joy and rest wrapped in the loving arms of God, giving him reason to sing. Wow, how his circumstances have changed. That's David's experience, though, and it's the experience he wants his readers to have too. But suddenly, in the psalm, another voice breaks in. Now, no longer is David speaking, but God himself. And here God tells us how we can keep that peace and joy and rest. He says, if you want this to be your ongoing experience, then you have to listen to him and obey him. God says, don't be like some stubborn horse or mule who will only do what you want it to when you force it to. You know, when you're tugging on its reins. No, instead, choose willingly to obey God. Here, read with me from verse 8 where God speaks and says, verse 8, God speaks and says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. 
I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. See, you, you think about a stubborn mule for a moment, okay? Always pulling in the other direction. Never going where you want it to go, unless you force it to. The thing is, if that animal had any understanding at all, it would realise that, that its life would be a whole lot simpler and easier if it just did what it was told to, willingly. While ever it's pulling in the other direction, it has no peace or joy or rest. But that's how it chooses to live its life. Because it has no understanding. It is a senseless animal. Well, here, God says, don't be a senseless animal. Listen to me. Trust me. Don't keep pulling in the other direction. Obey me willingly. Because that's the simplest and easiest way to live. The only way you'll ever find rest or joy or peace. And then David's voice returns in the psalm and he wholeheartedly agrees with God that to willingly obey God really is the best way to live your life. And David points out that the sinful way, the wicked way, never ends in good. It, you know, it promises so much, but in the end it always disappoints, always damages, always hurts. It hurts us. It hurts our relationships with other people. And it hurts our relationship with God too. Sin, wickedness, promises so much but in the end it robs us of joy and peace and rest it brings us woe but when we let God lead us when we listen to him and trust him and obey him well that's a different matter altogether because then we go through this life with the assurance of God's unfailing love and protection surrounding us and that never disappoints but rather it gives us reason to sing and rejoice he read with me these final verses from verse 10. Verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked. It's very short, so let me say that again. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And with that, the psalm ends. It's a great psalm, isn't it? I must say, one of my favourite mascals of all time. Wouldn't you agree? But I think what I really like about this psalm is the way that it offers us what we all long for. It shows us how to find true peace and joy and rest in our lives. How to find true refreshment. Not the kind of temporary superficial refreshment that Flight Centre offers us, offers us, but refreshment that is profound and lasting and goes deep into the fabric of who we are. It shows us how to find refreshment for our souls. And what does it all come down to? Well, two things, really. Firstly, it's about confessing our sin to God. And secondly, it's about choosing to obey God from that point on. Let's think about those two things for a moment, shall we? First of all, confessing our sin to God. 
Friend, I need to ask you a question. Is there some sin in your life that you're choosing to remain silent about at this time? Is there some sin in your life that you're trying to cover up, hide from God, acting as though it doesn't exist, acting as though it's not really important, it doesn't matter, just justifying away? Well, if so, then, friend, I hate to say it, but at this point in time, you have a deceitful spirit because you're lying to yourself and you're lying to God because sin always matters and God will never let you get away with it just as David found out like the parent who cares about the rebellious child God's hand of discipline will come down on you and like David you'll be kept from true rest and joy and peace and you'll know only groaning I was speaking to a Christian guy a few months back who doesn't go to our church and I was in a conversation with him and one thing led to another and before I knew it, you know, I asked him about pornography in his life, as it happens. At least he was truthful enough to confess to me that it was a long-term, ongoing issue for him. But what really struck me was the way that this fella had come to accept it as, as just a, a normal part of his life. In fact, he became really quite angry at me when I suggested that God was unhappy with him. We've all got sin in our lives, he said. Are you sinless? What makes my sin any worse than anybody else's? Isn't God a God of love and grace? Does he expect us to be perfect? Better than sleeping with a prostitute, isn't it? Denial, justification, minimalization of sin. And so I told him, that he was self-deceived and that he had swallowed Satan's lie that sin does not matter. A couple of weeks later, this same fellow sent me an email and in it he told me how furious he had been with me that I would make him feel like a sinner. By the way, I don't think that it was actually me making him feel like that. I think that maybe God had a hand in that. But then he went on to humbly confess how for many years his addiction had made him feel so miserable that the only way that he could deal with it was by suppressing that guilt, by pretending that there was no sin at all. Now I imagine that there are some people here today who are hearing this and themselves feeling pretty awful even as I speak. As I speak not feeling too much rest or joy or peace just the heavy hand of God upon you. Well, friend, to you, I want want to tell you the rest of this guy's story because, you know what, from that moment on, you know what he decided to do? He decided to get real with God. He decided to get real about his sin. He exposed it for what it was and he confessed it to God and he sincerely repented of it. He went and got some help and now he's going well on the way to breaking free from that sin that had him in its grip for so long that sin that had robbed him of the joy and blessing of God for so long friend is there sin in your life that you're refusing to admit you're 
refusing to let go of it. It doesn't have to be porn, it could be anything. Drunkenness, a bad temper, envy, an unforgiving heart, whatever. Then you need to understand that you'll never know true joy or peace or rest while ever you're choosing to hold on to that. And no, it's not just an Old Testament King David thing. In Acts chapter 3, the New Testament, the Apostle Peter preached, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Friend, Jesus is waiting to bring times of refreshing to your dry, withered soul. If only you'll get real with your sin and confess. And of course, secondly, Psalm 32 teaches us that if we want to keep that refreshment in our lives, then we need to now listen to God and obey him. In Psalm 32, God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Well, of course, friends, God has taught us and told us the way to go, hasn't he? He's done that in his word, the Bible. And now we either choose the easy way or the hard way. We either listen to him and trust him and obey him or we fight against him, pulling in the other direction like some stubborn mule. But there is no joy or peace or rest in that. Only a multitude of woes. I was chatting with my wife Beth this past week about this psalm and and we thought about the experiences of two ladies that we know, again, neither of whom come to this church, thinking about how different their lives have turned out all on account of whether they chose to obey God or not. The first was a married lady, a professing Christian, who, unhappy in her marriage, chose solace in the arms of someone else's husband. When the affair came to light, she was given the opportunity to repent of her sin and obey God, but sadly she chose to pull in the other direction, like a stubborn mule. She left her husband and shacked up with him. With, with the other fella. That was quite a few years ago now. But you know, the effects of that disobedience have been devastating and lasting. Two families completely shattered. Children who have completely lost respect for their mother. The lady herself filled with such shame that she, she and her new husband have now moved to some isolated part of the state away from people that they know. Rarely does she get to see her grandchildren. And perhaps most gut-wrenching of all, she's given up her faith, along with, and along with it her salvation, as it was the only way that she could justify her actions. Sin promises so much, and yet it delivers so little. Many are the woes of the wicked. But then Beth and I compared that lazy experience to another friend that we have, a Christian, a single girl around our age who longs to be married and has for a long, long time and who at one stage was faced with the temptation of a married man offering her the solace that she so desired. Praise God she shared her temptation with Beth who was able to show her God's good way from the Bible And our friend broke off all contact with that man. 
She chose solace in the, lo- in the loving arms of her God instead. And since that time, our friend has remained faithful in her singleness. You know, that choice has led to such blessing in her life. It opened the door for her to eventually work in a Christian ministry through which she has been able to influence the lives of countless others. Through her faithful and godly witness, now her dad, once an unbeliever, has himself found salvation in Christ. And in a recent chat with Beth, this friend, she just shined as she spoke of the joy of Christ in her life and the way that he has taken care of her, especially in providing for her a loving Christian family. And a loving church family, I should say. Yes, she still longs to be married, she, but she has learnt contentment. Having hidden herself in God, she's discovered that he is enough for her and that he'll bring her through this storm of life, indeed, every storm of life. Friend, in this life, we are going to be faced with all sorts of temptations. And in those times, we need to listen to God and to go his way. We need to remember that sin promises so much, but in the end it always disappoints, always hurts. But when we let God lead us, when we obey him, well, that's a different matter altogether. Because then we have the assurance of his unfailing love and protection, and that never disappoints. And no, it's not just some Old Testament King David idea. As it says in the New Testament, as the Apostle James wrote in James chapter 1, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, in other words, the, the person who reads their Bible, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So yes, friends, here we are again in the holiday season. Lots of people looking for refreshment. But friends, today I hope that you've been able to see where true rest and joy and peace can be found. And so in 2013, let's be people who confess our sin to God, be real about it, and who willingly obey God. And may 2013 be the year that you find true refreshment for your soul. We're going to pray now, and in particular we're going to pray a prayer of confession. But before I lead us in that, I want to give us each an opportunity to speak to God for ourselves, to get real with him. And maybe there's some sin in your life that you now realise that you have been justifying or minimising or pretending it doesn't really matter. But today you want to find forgiveness for your sin. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you are tempted with at the moment. And you simply want to ask God for his help to keep going his way, to keep obeying him. Friend, I'll give you a, a minute of, or so of silence now before I lead us in the rest of uh, our prayers. Let's come before God now. Let's pray.
our Father, we each come before you now as uh, sinners, uh, each in need of your mercy. Father, we confess that we have not always lived your way, that we've been like rebellious children. Father, we're truly sorry. Lord God, we thank you that you love us enough to care about the sin in our lives. We thank you that uh, when we're willing to get real about our sin and confess it, that you're always willing to forgive. Father, thanks so much that because of Jesus, his death on the cross, that we can have that forgiveness. Father, thanks for teaching us your good ways in the Bible. Lord, we confess that at times we're tempted to pull against you and go our own way. Father, please help us to obey you, even when it's really hard, even when sin promises so much. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to obey. Finally, Father, we thank you for the joy and the peace and the rest that you offer each and every one of us this day. Our Father, we pray that it would continue to be our experience each day of the new year and that it might remain with us all the days of our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we now come to the Lord's Supper. And as we've been reminded this morning, uh, sin it promises so much, but always delivers so little. It hurts ourselves, it hurts our relationships with others, and it hurts our relationship with God too. What we really need is forgiveness of our sins. Well, in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of how that forgiveness of sins is possible through Jesus, who died on the cross in the place of sinners, taking upon himself the sins of the world, offering forgiveness to all who now put their faith in him. How does the Lord's Supper remind us of this? Well, on the night before Jesus died on the cross, he had a final meal with his disciples. And in it, he told them that the bread and the juice represented his body and his blood that would be sacrificed on our behalf. And so the Lord's Supper reminds us that at the cross, Jesus, even though he was sinless, died on, in the place of sinners like you and me. Now, I should say that the Lord's Supper isn't for everyone. It's only for those who now trust that through Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, their sins have been forgiven. If you're here this morning and that's not you, uh, then firstly, can I say how good it is to have you here with us? But can I also encourage you not to participate in the Lord's Supper? Because right? you wouldn't want to say that you've accepted uh, the forgiveness of your sins that Jesus offers you if the fact is you haven't actually done that yet. If that's you, uh, then when the bread and the juice are offered to you, simply let them pass you by. But I must say that my hope is that soon you too will come to know true refreshment for your soul as you find forgiveness of your sins through Jesus. But for the rest of us, uh, when you receive the bread and the juice, just hold on to them until I say so that we can eat and drink together. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you uh, for your amazing love for us and, and for all people. For you have given us your only Son, Jesus Christ, that all who trust in him 
should not perish, but have eternal life. We thank you for him, that on the cross he offered that one true sacrifice for sin, and now offers us forgiveness and the reality of all your wonderful blessings instead. So now, Father, with joyful hearts, we do as your Son commanded. We recall before you his suffering, his death, his resurrection. We acknowledge his absolute dominion, and we look for the coming of his kingdom. Amen. Well, on the night before Jesus died on the cross, he took a piece of bread, and after he had given thanks to God, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. With this bread, we remember that through Jesus' death, our sins have been forgiven. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. With this juice, we now remember that the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, from uh, the depths of our hearts, we thank you that through this Lord's Supper we've once again been assured of your grace and your mercy raining down on our souls. We pray that as we go out now, we would continue to to experience true rest and joy and peace as we continue to listen to you and trust you and obey you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.